last week. Anybody that wasn't here last week, you should go on the internet and get last week's message and listen to it. You really, really, really should. This world that we live in is a world at war, and there are principles in Scripture that we can see to teach us how to survive in that war, how to prosper in that war, how the enemy works in that war. And last week was about that, and we all need it. If, if, if your knowledge and your understanding of all those things are times 10 what mine are, it's at least a good refresher to remind you how the devil works and how we work to beat him. Okay, Today, I'm going to extend last week. The, the title that came to my mind for what I'm going to talk about today is Understanding Life. I don't know about you. I don't always feel like I understand life. I read the Bible. I think I understand God's heart a little bit. I understand his motives and the kind of things he wants, but I don't always understand life. And as I was praying trying to decide, Lord, you know, what is it you want me to talk about on Sunday? That's the thing that came to my mind was understanding life. So there's three topics. One of them we talked about last week, so I'm just going to review it a little bit. And then two more. Actually, there's a fourth, which is your perspective that I'm not really going to talk about, but your perspective on things makes a huge impact on understanding your life and really influencing your life. So, um, you know, you're happy, you're sad. You're healthy, you're sick. Your relationships are good, they're bad. There's all these different aspects of our lives that are in different states of goodness, right? But Jesus came, we sang it. I almost wanted to put the the words back up there. It talks about Jesus breaking every chain of bondage, right? And it's true. Every chain of bondage has been broken. But to some extent, it's like the elephant, that when he's just a little tiny baby elephant and they put a chain around his ankle and drive a stake into the ground and he learns that he can only get this far from the stake because the chain has got him bound, right? This isn't a perfect analogy, but then he gets to be a big, big elephant and he could jerk that thing out of the ground without even breaking a sweat, but he's been conditioned in his mind to believe that that chain and that stake are stronger than his ability to move it, and he lives his life bound in a way that's not true. He is not bound by the power of that stake. He is not bound by the strength of that chain. He's bound by the stronghold, the fortress in his mind that causes him to think that as far as he can get from that thing is the length of that chain, and that's all there is for him. That's the issue of understanding our lives. The first we talked about last week is the spiritual battle. I'm going to read you... um, let me back myself up a minute. I got ahead of myself. And, and maybe this isn't a problem for you, but this is a huge thing for me to get over or to be getting over is I never could understand. You know, I was taught that God wanted to bless me. I was taught that God was all-powerful. He's omniscient. He knows everything, and he's everywhere present, that there's nothing beyond God. All those things are true, but maybe my flesh, maybe the enemy started to build this fortress in my mind that was starting to paint an idolatrous picture of God that wasn't the true God. So I would think things like, well, why would you ever have a 9-11? This is something people struggle with, right? If you're an all-powerful God, if you're, why don't you just make things right? Why don't we just call this heaven and let's just move on with everything that heaven can be? And I've struggled and I've struggled and I've struggled to try to embrace God in the image of this paradigm, of this untruth that I've allowed built up in my mind. So I press in, I read my Bible, I pray, and I'm starting to get 
a, a, a more correct picture of the sovereign God that we serve. And I'm coming to the understanding, not necessarily of understanding his ways, because they're higher than our ways, right? His thoughts are different than our thoughts. They're greater than our ability to think and reason. So I'm learning to accept that he's created an order. And in that order, there are certain things that just are not going to change whether I understand them or not. Principles like sowing and reaping, right? Um, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, now, I, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Well, you know, my paradigm would say, God, why don't, why don't I just reap bountifully? Why can't you just give me lots if I don't give little? Because you love me so much and you want to bless me. Because that's not the way that he's created the order of this place and his kingdom. If we sow a little, we get to reap a little. If we sow good, we get to reap good. If we sow evil, we get to reap evil. It's a principle that isn't going to change because I wish it was different. Okay? So for me, I have to just control my mind and capture my thoughts and say, this is just how it is. Now I walk in the kingdom the way that God has established it so I can be effective because I'm not, as, as Paul was kicking against the goads. I'm not not fighting against the truth anymore. I'm accepting the truth, and I'm walking forward in the way and the process that God has, uh, God has ordained it to be. And if anybody else has that struggle, I pray that you will press in so that you can defeat your flesh and your pride, because that's what it is, right? God, you should be this way, not the way you are, because that's the way I want it to be, and walk out the way God has ordained things to be in your thoughts and in your process. So, First one we talked about was spiritual warfare. Quick review. I'm going to read you some scriptures, just make little comments. Somewhere in there I'm going to breathe. 1 Peter 5.8 Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Okay, If you didn't think he had an enemy, you do. He prowls around like a roaring lion, and he's looking that you might be devoured. You are easy to be devoured when you are weak. You're weak when you're not full of the Holy Spirit. You're weak when you're not full of God's Word because then He can deceive you, right? Okay. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. You really need to try to understand fortresses. They're a big, big deal. They're, they're what spiritual warfare is all about, is fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Okay, Spiritual warfare happens between our ears. It's about truth and lies. It boils down to that, spiritual warfare. Any thought that doesn't stand obedient to Christ, to the truth that we find in his word, is a lie from the enemy, and it needs to be cast down. Otherwise, what happens is fortresses get built. God loves you. He wants to bless you. He wants you to have all of your heart's desires. Awesome. Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz, right? Outside of understanding God in his nature, his truth, his character, his person, a fortress is, is, right as it sounds, starts to get built up in our minds, and we start to then build an idol of God around that fortress, or really the devil does, with our thoughts, by controlling our thoughts. So fortresses are, you can almost think of, if you can think of spiritual warfare going on, right, for the thoughts and for, for the minds of people, 
When we lose a battle in the war, the fortress is what gets left. Our, our weapons are powerful for what? For the tearing down of fortresses, for breaking lies and replacing them with truth. Everything we have is defensive. You're going to see that in a minute. Everything we have is front-facing except the sword. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. That is our forward-marching offensive weapon that we use to tear down fortresses because it's truth, and the truth breaks the lies. Okay? All right. Quick, quick, quick. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, tells us a little bit about what we have. Finally, being, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, not each other, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Well, remember that one when we get to the next part, to stand firm. Actually, the third part, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put it on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So, God gives us these things. These are our... our shield, our, our uh, helmet, all these things that he gives us, we don't, I mean, we put them on, but we should never take them off. The, the breastplate of righteousness is we walk in righteousness. It's not like, okay, I feel a battle coming on. I'm going to put this thing on that, that's name is right. It's got righteousness across the front, and I'm just going to put that on, and, and nothing's going to happen to me in that area. No, it's on when we're righteous. When we're righteous, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. When we walk in righteousness, we are wearing the breastplate of righteousness. When we are strong in our faith, the shield is up. When our faith is weak and we believe in things other than the truth, the shield is down. And we're exposed to the flaming arrows, the fiery darts of the enemy. This armor that we have, we have it on when we walk out the things that God teaches us to do. Be faithful. Be righteous. Hold on to the truth. I asked people to pray for me this morning. I don't, where's John Wensley? Is he? Okay, you don't have to get up. But John, John was one of the people I had, the people that were right here, pray for me, right? Last week, the one that I struggled with the most was, um, well, the only one I think I really struggled with was having your feet shod with the readiness or the preparedness of the gospel of peace. I wasn't sure I really understood that. Other than that, that gospel of peace is the foundation with which my feet, if I put my feet down, it's got to be on that foundation, the gospel of peace. So John is praying for me, and he, he hears the Holy Spirit tell him to pray for my feet. And I, I mean, I don't know this until afterwards. He, he tells me about it, but he's praying for my feet, and I'm having this sense that that foundation needed to be strengthened up. This gospel of peace had to be strengthened up, and God is responding by lighting up one of his people in prayer we're going to Africa. The, the, the symbol of Africa, of the experience when we were in Mozambique, was dirt, sand. Uh, the, the people that we went to, to their ministry was, was all about your face in the sand, in the sand worshiping, in the sand praying, in the sand surrender to God. 
John finished praying for my feet, and his sandals were filled with sand that wasn't there before. It just showed up. Sand. It's cool. It's, it's awesome to see how the God, how the, God <laughs> how the Lord works to strengthen us and prepare us for these things just in prayer. That's why I was so overwhelmed this morning. I, I don't want people to be afraid to ask for prayer. If we understand we can't do anything without Jesus. There is no fruit that comes off your branch without Jesus. And fruit is awesome. When we produce fruit, it's, it, it feels so good. You would ask for prayer. Get people laying hands on you, praying for you all the time. Where they say, what do you want me to pray? Say, I don't care. Just, you know, ask the Holy Spirit and pray what comes out. It really does matter to get prayer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for faithful people that, that just pray and love. Whew. Okay, that was a little bit of a sidetrack. John eight thirty one and 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So the existence of truth does not make you free. The world is full of people, elephants that are imaginarily bound to the stake in the presence of truth. Truth exists. It always exists. It always will exist. It's the knowledge of truth that sets us free. So, summarize on spiritual warfare. It's about truth and lies, right? It's a battle inside your mind, and the weapons are the lies and schemes of the enemy against the truth that we find in God's word. The winner is what you embrace. You empower what you embrace. If, if you embrace fear, then you empower fear in your lives. I told a story about Annika in bed. Daddy, I'm scared. Well, why are you scared? Because someone told me a scary story. Okay, was it true? No. Then why are you scared? Why is a lie making you afraid? And the fear said, my door has to be open, my light has to be on, you have to be in the other room. Fear is now starting to control her life, and it's a lie. Right? Truth and lies. Okay. Um, Truth leads to freedom, lies lead to bondage. Okay, part two. The second thing that we need to understand about life, right, understanding our life, is blessing and curse. Right? Spiritual warfare is an issue that impacts our life. Blessing and curse is a dynamic that impacts your life. Let me read you some scriptures. Deuteronomy eleven twenty six through 29. See, I am setting before you, this is God speaking, a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you today, and the curse if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I am commanding you today by following other gods which you have not known. So, blessing and curse. God says to Israel, I place before you blessing and curse. He says to every one of us, I place before you blessing and curse. Blessing, if you listen, obey, do, follow these commands that I place before you. And curse, if you choose not to, serve me and my law and my ways, but to worship other gods. Blessing and curse. Curse. Obedience, disobedience. Deuteronomy, De- <laughs> Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2. Now it shall be, if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. So he reinforces the blessing, and then he reinforces the curse in verse 15. But it shall come about, if you do not obey the Lord your God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I charge you today, 
Wow, that didn't sound right. But it shall come about, if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, with which I charge you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, he then starts to list these different things. Like if you move the pegs of the fence of your neighbor's property and you make his a little smaller and yours a little bigger, you get a curse. If you dishonor your parents, you get a curse. Okay? Obedience, disobedience. There's also, let me back up again, curses are a result of what we do or what we don't do. If we obey God, we walk in blessing. If we disobey God, we can have a curse. But we can have a curse even though we didn't disobey God in a certain area. Right? The original sin of Adam is a curse of death that every human being since Adam has had put on them. You're born in that curse. You are born in Adam. Cursed unto physical, natural death because of the disobedience that happened in the garden. So there are things called generational curses that flow down through our bloodlines. Ultimately, we're trying to get to the place this morning of understanding our lives and why are things the way they are or why aren't they the way they are. I read the scripture and I see this abundant life that Christ has purchased for me. Why don't I have it? Could be you're in a spiritual war. Could be you're struggling with a curse, right? Generational curse. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, your, or the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and the fourth generations. So your great-granddaddy could have done some kind of occultish thing or who knows what kind of thing outside of obedience to God doesn't even have to be conscious. could be unconscious to bring the curse that impacts our lives. Okay? There's... Yes, he is, and I can hear you. <laughs> Teresa said Jesus is bigger. He is bigger, but he's bigger in his ways. Just because he's bigger than the devil doesn't cause the curse to go away, right? Okay. Um, I'm really comfortable in, in what I just told you about curses. I'm a little less comfortable in this part. So I'm, gonna just, I'm not going to try to go any deeper than I feel comfort with. But there are other ways that we can be cursed. Word curses, for example. Death and life, Proverbs 18.21a. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So we can speak a curse over... Typically where you see it is in places of authority. So if a father were to speak a curse over, you know, not I curse you in this way, but, you know, say words, you're stupid. You know, you're never going to amount to anything. Things like that are word curses, and they have power because death and life are in the power of our tongue. Now, I don't quite understand if any person can curse another person. I think they can't. Outside having had some, having some authority to do that in the spirit world, not in the natural world necessarily, there's authority that a parent has over their children. The scripture that helps me to believe that that's true is this one. Proverbs 26, 2. Now, I'm reading this one out of the New Living Translation, but it's, it's the same message in the New American Standard, just easier to understand words in this case. 
Like a fluttering sparrow or a darting swallow, an undeserved curse will not land on its intended victim. So I don't think we are just necessarily curse pincushions, that anybody wants to jam a curse on us that they can do it. It says that if that curse is not deserved, then we don't get it, right? But we need to understand deserve from God's perspective. I wasn't in the Garden of Eden, but I must have deserved that original sin curse because God allowed it to fall into my existence, right? So take that for what you will. The takeaway for um, curses is the part that we can control, and ultimately we can control it all, I think, is that if we walk in obedience, we get blessed by God. If we walk in disobedience, we can be cursed by God. Curses can be broken. We break curses by confessing, by repenting, by asking God to remove the penalty of our disobedience. And we can break curses. We can break curses even in our bloodline. So if, if my daddy played with a Ouija board and somehow a curse got on our, our bloodline, I can confess that sin for my father or my father's father or my father's father's father, third or fourth generation. I can repent from that sin and I can ask God to break the consequences of that sin over my life. Now some of that stuff, I don't know if my daddy ever played with a Ouija board, but God does. If I have some area of my life that seems like it's outside of God's will, I could ask Holy Spirit, is there some curse in my bloodline that needs to be broken? Okay? All right. The third thing that I'm going to share with you today, we had spiritual warfare, we had blessing and curse, both things that impact our lives so we can understand how things got the way they are. Right? The third one is testing. Literally testing by God because you've given your life to Him. Now, he's in the process of preparing you for life in the kingdom here on this earth and eternally. There's preparation that must be done. Genesis 21, 1 and 2. This is a story about Abraham and Isaac. Abraham was an old man. His wife, Sarah, could not produce. Her her womb was shut. She couldn't produce for him a son. God promised to Abraham that he would not only give him a son, that he would make him a father of a multitude of nations. Right? Through Sarah, the child of the promise, not through um, Ishmael, the child of the flesh, right? Because the baby didn't come and and Sarah didn't trust in God's word, so she gave her her maidservant, Hagar, I almost said Hagatha, (laughs) Hagar, to lie with her husband, and she got pregnant and produced a child of the flesh. That's Ishmael. That's not where the blessing comes from, right? So this story is about... Abraham and his faithfulness, it was his faithfulness to what God said that caused him to be considered righteous in God's eyes. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So God's got Abraham in this quandary, although you never ever see Abraham exhibit any sign that he knows he's in a quandary, right? God said he'd give him a son. He believed it. God gave him a son. God said, take that son and offer him to me on the altar, on this mountain where I'll tell you, as a burnt offering. Isaac said, okay. Got the camel or the donkey and the sticks to make the fire and the sun and the knife, and off they went, out looking for the mountain that God would tell him. 
Fast forward to verse 9 through 12. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Now God promised him that he would make him the father of many nations. And now he's telling him to put the knife down in the heart of his son, his only son, the one that is the son of the promise. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your, your only son for me. So Abraham was being tested by God. In this case, to see, does he truly fear God? Will he take this son of the promise and actually slay him if I tell him to? Abraham passed that test. See, your situation, your issue of life may not have to do with a spiritual battle that you're in the middle of. It may not have to do with a curse that's over top of your life. It may very well be that you're being tested. i got to believe that that was an anxious moment for Abraham. A doubtful moment about God. I don't understand. Right? Amen. Thank you. Hunter, you rock. So let me just read you... Well, i got lots of scripture. I'm going to try to read really fast. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-9. through 9. And I want you to kind of look for a progression of, of what the Holy Spirit is saying through Peter here in this passage of Scripture. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, you believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So, Peter understands this whole issue of trials, right? Peter's been tried a lot. And what he's saying is that the testing of your faith, the faith which will ultimately result in the salvation of your soul, is more valuable than gold. Because gold can be consumed, your faith cannot, if it passes the test. Testing. Um, James 1... Two through four, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Spiritual war, blessing and curse, the testing and trial of your faith. Three things that dramatically impact your life. The takeaway from trials is... God is preparing you. When you signed up for eternity, to be born again, to get saved, to go to heaven with God, you gave away your life. It's now his. He owns it. You don't have a life anymore. You are a dead guy. Girl, lady, woman, whatever. He's now taking this life which you've given to him, right? Somebody says, hey, so-and-so gave their life to the Lord. We need to really understand that's what we did. We gave it to him. Now, he doesn't necessarily take it all at once, but it's his to take if he chooses however and wherever he wants. 
If we understand that, then we also need to understand that he has prepared, Scripture says, works for us since before the foundation of this world that he has for us to get done. But in our not yet transformed way, we can't do those works. And the greater works require greater transformation. So the process of testing, the takeaway about testing is that it's God preparing you for those things that he has for you to do on this earth and eternally, there's, there's some preparation. I, I almost thought about the parable of the talents, right? Where, you know, he's, he's telling the, the characters that he's prepared for them many. You know, you'll be ruler over this many cities, and you'll be ruler over this many cities. It's an eternal kind of a preparation as well as a temporal kind of preparation. So... Three things. If your life isn't exactly how you think it should be based upon your best understanding of Scripture, the first place you want to look is spiritual warfare. And and really what you're doing is you're looking for a fortress in your mind. Is there some lie that I've embraced which empowered the enemy to have influence over my life that's taken me away from the abundance that Christ has purchased for me? If there is, replace that. Because now you've got something up there that's not standing obedient to Christ. Take the sword of the Spirit, whack it, cast it down, move on. Two, is there potentially a curse over your life that needs to be dealt with, right? Curses primarily relate to obedience and disobedience. Is there any place in my life where I'm disobedient to God? If there is, then I'm probably reaping what I've sown in disobedience. What if I were to turn that around, sow obedience, and reap blessing instead of curse, right? We can control goodness as well as the elimination of badness by walking in obedience and not disobedience. And then the third thing is testing. Standing and persevering through the trials God allows to bring us to perfection and completeness that we might rightly fulfill all he has portioned to us. If life isn't all that you would hope it to be, is some part of your life under the influence of a lie? Know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Under a curse, confess, repent, any sin in your life or your bloodline. And if you don't know, Holy Spirit does. You can ask. He'll show you. Walk in obedience and the blessing that it promises. And then lastly, if all that, you've dealt with the lies, you've dealt with any disobedience in your life, and it isn't, feel like abundant and full, then stand and persevere. Because you're probably being tested. You don't want to go around a mountain a hundred times. You want to go around once, right? No longer conform to the ways of this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That you might prove the perfect will of God. No lies, no disobedience, no whatever you wish you had. Stand, persevere. Pass the test, move on. All right? One last scripture and then I'll let you go. James 1.17. Hear this. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. If there's anything, anything good in your life, it's because God put it there. If there be any perfection in your life, it's because the Father of lights has placed that perfection in your life. It's not by what you did. It's by his grace, his kindness, and his love. 
Don't allow the devil to get you mad at God for the things that you wish were different. Sometimes in a fallen world, stuff just happens. Understand that God is about goodness. God is about truth. God is about love. Every fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, those are what God is. It's the fruit of his tree. You don't pick peaches from an apple tree. From God, you pick all those good things, and that is what is available to us as fruit in our lives because he's good. No shadow of turning. He can't cast a shadow because all he does is emanate light. There is no darkness. There's no light that shines past him that would be brighter than his light that would allow a shadow to be cast by God because light emanates from him. He's perfect and he's good. Sorry that I talked so quickly. If you just remember, spiritual, lies and truth, blessing and curse, obedience and disobedience, and testing, stand and persevere. You got the gist of this message, okay? All right. God bless you. Let's just pray real quick.